Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I suppose one that bore the sin of the world, it's not too much to bear simple request that he may have of me if you'll stand with me tonight we'll turn to the book of first chronicles and that's chronicles not corinthians chronicles i know you're not supposed to preach from this book of the bible a lot of people avoid like the first 10 chapters of first chronicles because you have names 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 and then names first chronicles chapter 22 but i'm not in the name 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 part of first chronicles First Chronicles 22, I want to read, starting with verse number 14. Amen, here this evening. See if we can pluck something out of the book of Chronicles. Amen. Verse 14 says, Now, behold in my trouble. This is David. Now, behold in my trouble. I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold. And a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all matter of cunning men of every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. David is speaking to his son Solomon whenever he states all these words. And he says without reservation the trouble that he has went through in order to prepare all the material workmen and thus and thus for the house of God. He's saying it's all, it's all here Now, Solomon, I want you to go forth, and I want you just to go do something with it. I want you to do something with it. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this, very simply, three words. Add to it. Add to it. Amen. Father, I come to you tonight. God, we need, Lord, the power of your spirit, Lord, in this place, even as we have felt, Lord, through the songs that have been, Lord, sing here. I pray, God, that you're able to stir up our hearts and stir up our lives. I pray, oh God, today, let there be a word, Lord Jesus, of instruction, Lord, from your word. God, even as David spoke to the generation that was coming after him, God, let there be a generational word, Lord, even for us tonight, God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say tonight, and we'll not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen to the church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Again, there's a transfer of sorts of a baton, the transfer of obligation that David is giving to his son Solomon. David could look over his shoulder in his lifetime and he could begin to trace, if you will, all of his activity concerning the things of God, the house of God, his efforts, his exploits, if you will, for the Lord. As Acts says in our New Testament Scripture, it it writes and pins these words that David served his generation and then he fell to sleep. And so we could harmonize our voices with Luke, the writer of Acts, and say very well that David had served his generation well. From the moment of his debut as the giant slayer down in the valley of Elah against insurmountable odds to this moment in time of all the preparations that he had made for the temple, the house of God. David even defended his father's foes on the backside of the pasture somewhere. Even then, he was a fighter for what belonged to his family and he would take that type of personality and mentality into his service for the Lord of being a fighter and a propagator about what was the Lord's. Much is attributed to the life of David. 
He fought battles that others scurried away from and would not even venture out and try or attempt. He organized, according to the book of Chronicles, he organized and instituted music and people singing all around the tent of God's presence. That was the doing of David. You did not find that in the tabernacle of Moses, but when he pitched that tent for the Ark of the Covenant to be housed in, he had singers and he had music that would accompany these things. Not only did he write songs out on the pasture as he watched over his father's sheep, the Bible even declares to us in the book of Chronicles that David even fashioned and fabricated and made musical instruments. He's not just a musician. He's just not just a songwriter or a singer. He actually made musical instruments during his time frame. The prominent theme of chapter number 22 of our text tonight is the building, though, of the house of the Lord. David had pitched a tent for the Ark of the Covenant, and he understood and surveyed his own life, how he dwelt in a house of cedars that was well-constructed and well-formed, but the Ark of the Covenant was still just pitched over there in that tent somewhere. Seemed like a very rude manner, rude structure for something so glorious and so honorable. And he ventured then to build something, to have something built that was more suitable to the presence and the power of God, the glory and the splendor of the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible even tells us in Chronicles that it was in David's mind or it was in David's heart to make a habitation for God. He, he desired this. He, he, it kept him awake at night. The Bible even says, David said in the Psalms, he said, I won't go up into my bed and I will not lay my head down to sleep until I've made a habitation for the Lord. He, he could not even wrestle with the idea, I'm in a good house and it's just in a tent structure over here. I gotta do something about it. That was the heart of David. But the Bible says that Nathan the prophet told him and brought word to him, David, you cannot build this house of the Lord because you are a warrior. You're a warrior. You have, you have shed much blood. And I want to note tonight that it's not that God was displeased with the warfare that David had involved himself in. For that matter, the Bible tells us that God both enabled and promised all of David's military victories that he had. It wasn't as though God was looking down his long nose at David because he was a man of warfare and had shed blood, but just that his constant battles and his fighting that he had been engaged in in his life, all the blood that had been shed in his life just virtually kept David in a impure, a ceremoniously impure state where he wouldn't have been able to create something as holy and as clean as a house for God. He was just too busy in the warfare of everything. And so that alone hindered him from building such a holy place. And so David's ventures, though, of warfare, the battles that he fought north, south, east, and west, all of these things broadened the landmass of the nation of Israel. All of these exploits of fighting enemies extended the borders of the land of Israel during David's kingship. Nonetheless, the peace that he had gained, and he did gain peace. He gained peace in every direction. You can read of in Scripture. He fought enemies all around about Jerusalem, and he gained peace peace in all four directions from the land of Jerusalem and everything that he gained in peace and what he did during his tenure of being the king did nothing more but set the stage for his son. It set the stage for Solomon to come alongside into the steps of his father and build what was in his father's heart and mind for the presence and the power of the Ark of the Covenant. And yet peace was not the only variable, amen, in building God's house. It wasn't the only variable that would be needed. David couldn't do it because the war, Solomon could because the Bible says he would have rest or peace in his day, which is what Solomon's name means, rest or peace. He could do it because there would be peace in his day. But that wasn't the only variable. That wasn't the only tool. That wasn't the only essential that was required to build the house of the Lord. The Bible also declares to you and I that David also supplied an incredible amount of material. 
that would be necessary to construct the house of the Lord. And the materials that David gave and offered and dedicated for the purpose of building the house of God was as a result of the battles that he was engaged in. The things that he gave were spoils of war. The things that he gave were the trophies, if you will, of his victories that he had fought all around about him. David would go into cities and towns and villages and he would plunder the enemy and he would plunder the cities and he would gather then after the slain was on the ground. He, he would gather silver and gold and wood and different artifacts and different things and spoils of his wins, spoils of his war. So all of his successes then it came into being a surplus amount of gold and silver and brass and iron. As a matter of fact, the Bible says those things that he even gave for the purpose of building God's house were among those things. Also adding to the list, he would give precious gemstones of every sort. He would offer and provide men for cutting and offering quarried stones from the quarry. He would give Timbers such as cedar and fir and algum and olive woods. Cloths he would give running from linen all the way to blue and to purple and to starlet he would give for the purpose for the construction and the material of the house of God. Not to mention the proportions of corn and wine and oil that he also offered up. All of these things, all of this material, how varied they were, were victory materials if you will from David's battles. He, The Bible, as you read through the scripture, you can tell where some of these things came from. The brass he got from the Edomites and the Moabites. He collected iron from his battles with the Ammonites and silver he gleaned from the Philistines and the Amalekites getting all of these materials. He carried gold. The Bible tells us from his conquest with Syria and Hadad Ezer, the king Zoba. He's getting all these things. He's going to win a battle but he's coming out of there with something in his hand he's going into another place of warfare but he's not leaving empty handed he has something else in his hand and with that all being said he dedicates that he gives that to the purpose of building the house of God and what that meant then when the temple was finally built constructed and said and done was this is that there was not one place not one place that a person in the temple could go to or look upon when they seen the temple and not be reminded of the victory that they had over their enemy. Whenever they seen that chunk of gold over there or that silver line over there or that bronze that was upon the brazen altar, every time they seen those materials or those gemstones or that scarlet or that purple or that blue, it was a reminder of God giving victory against a formidable enemy in a battle in which they were desperate and needing the hand of God. Let me state it like this for the modern day church. Amen. If we are using any lesser materials, any lesser building materials, amen, in God's house today, we will not have the reminders of the victories that God has already done in our past. And for one reason tonight, that is the reason why it's essential as a child of God for you to be in the house of the Lord. It's not the drywall. It's not the carpet. It's not the ceramic tile that matters. But now we are lively stones, the New Testament writer says. We are lively stones built as a spiritual house unto the Lord. And so when I feel defeated, when I feel downtrodden, when I feel like I can't make it, when I feel like I don't have the strength, I can come to the house of God and I see you and you and you and they remind me of the victory Reminds me of the victories where we have been triumphant. When I come in and I see the sister Sheila's, it reminds me of the breast cancers that's been overcome. When I 
walk in and I see some of your faces that were in a place in your past that everybody else would have said no way possible can't happen they'll never darken the door of the church and you're sitting here today it reminds me that no one is a lost cause I just got to come to God's house and start looking at the material the lively stones here that it's made up of and it reminds me concerning the material and the victories and what was seized from the hand of the enemy and the adversary. But the temple that David's son Solomon was to build, the Bible tells it plainly that it was built upon the threshing floor that David had purchased. He numbered the people, got in trouble for doing so. You wasn't supposed to do that. You was just supposed to be confident in knowing all these people belong to the Lord. doesn't matter what their number is. All these people are gods. Whether they be few or many. But he numbered the people. He got in trouble. The Bible says the angel of the Lord had a sword that was even drawn at Jerusalem. And God says, David, I want you to, I want you to buy some land. I want you to build an altar right here. It was the threshing floor of Ornan. Ornan says, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you the, I'll give you the yoke. You can burn the wood of the yoke. You can chop it up. You can have the oxen as a burnt sacrifice. This threshing floor can be yours. David says, I'm not going to give to God something that did not cost me something. It's going to cost me something. I'll pay you the, the, uh, whatever the amount is that this is the fair market value, if you will, for the oxen and for the wood and for the threshing floor. And so he killed, he, he, he killed the oxen. He did the sacrifice. He built the altar and he purchased this for the purpose of an altar but that same place that same location where David put an altar where there was a threshing floor the Bible even tells us that God spoke to him he said this is where my house is going to be built this is where the, now David you're not going to do it your son's going to do it but this is where it's going to take place and so David not being able to build it that did not keep him from being a preparer for it as a matter of fact, you need to understand something. The moment that David learned that he wasn't going to be the builder, and I can almost see this, the Bible says he went before the presence of the Lord and he just sat down. It's kind of like that first blow when you realize God doesn't want you to do something that you really wanted to do. He sat down, Brother Zach, but he didn't allow that to be his constant position. He got up from there. And he says, that might not be what God's called me to do. But that doesn't keep me for preparing for what God is calling my son to do. And so he amasses the material. The Bible tells us in Chronicles that David employed workers. Listen, there's no work going on yet. But he's employing workers for the purpose of cutting timber and delivering timber from Lebanon. Amen. He's, he's, he's employing people to cut out the massive stones for the purpose of this temple that is going to be built all the surrounding areas. He has them involved for the preparation of the house of God. The Bible says that David organized all of the laborers that were needed. He brought people that were skilled in building structures or that had special they were artisans in dealing with, with gold or silver or interweaving if you will blue and purple. He brought artisans in. Skilled workers in those things. He, the Bible tells tells us in Chronicles he prearranged listen there's no temple yet but he's arranging all the worshipers that are going to worship at the temple he's getting all the musicians together I don't know if they had an assembly line Mike since David knew how to build instruments I don't know if they had an assembly line said okay today guys we're going to do we're going to make the clarinet today we're going to make the sackbuck that's scriptural today we're going to make the drum amen and having an assembly line amen for making all of the music the, the, the instruments for the purpose of the temple that would would come getting the getting the musicians people that were talented in those areas getting them all set up and ready he even got gatekeepers for the temple of the house of God when there wasn't a gate yet to keep 
He's doing all this. He's arranging everything. He's ordering both the Levitical and the Aaron, the, 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 the priesthood of Aaron. He's getting all these things in line. And the Bible says that God gave the pattern. God gave the design. God gave the plan of the tabernacle, its furnishings, the length and the width and what each thing was to be made out of. He gave all of that to David because David is preparing for what would come. David is preparing for what would happen. And he gave him, God gave him victory over all of his enemies so he could secure the materials for this work. So David admits in scripture in our text as he speaks to his son Solomon. He says, I have, in so many words, I have tirelessly put together all this stuff. I wish I had a picture of what it all looked like. I, I have tirelessly put together, arranged, organized, devised, secured, all of this stuff. I can't construct it, son. But you will. And here it all is. And he tells Solomon, it's all here. Now get after it. I, I got you a real good start here. Now just get with it. Listen now, son. Now listen. Someone hear me tonight. Listen, son. There's something I want to explain to you. I've done much preparation. Son, you are not responsible for finding a building site. That's already been secured. You are not responsible for searching for workers to get this thing started. That's already been done. You are not responsible for sitting down and scratching your head and trying to come up with a floor plan for this. The pattern and the design has already been etched in my mind from God. There's plenty of materials right before your eyes, my son. There's enough here to get started with, amen, without needing any more anytime soon. Now go to it. Someone say amen. David served his generation well. David had prepared well with everything he provided. David allowed a slight little sway in one aspect that he gave to Solomon. Solomon, I know, I'm being repetitive. Solomon, you can't change the location of the temple. You can't alter the pattern or the design of the temple regarding its furnishings and its layout. Nothing was said about him substituting skilled workers for other skilled workers, although there was leadway there for him to hire more. But the only leniency David afforded Solomon concerned the materials. Listen to me. Not the type of materials, but the number of materials. Now hold on. The quantities that David had amassed were a thousand talents of gold, I believe it says. That's 3,750 tons of gold. A thousand thousand talents of silver. That's one million talents of silver. That's 37,500 tons of silver. And the Bible, because they're little, whatever, abacus, they only had so many little, you know, the old calculator with the little balls on it. They only had so many there. The Bible says they couldn't even, there was so much brass and so much iron that it couldn't even be weighed. Not to mention the wood. Not to mention the stone. And when we read, you know, it's kind of like whenever you're uh, asking for volunteers or something, and if you see so many hands go up, you're like, why would they need me? We're taking up special offer. When they already got $500, they don't need anything else. You know what I mean? Why do I need to give? It's like when you 
you read a list with those amounts of tons of gold and tons of silver and so much brass and iron that you did, they didn't even couldn't weigh it and, and timber here and timber there and timber everywhere, E-I-E-I-O. When you read something like that, you start to think to yourself, we don't need to contribute anything. What else, what possibly more could be required? What possibly more could, could be needed? What possibly, I mean, David supplied and has fought a lot of battles. He supplied enormous sums of material for the building of the temple. However, amen, David told Solomon, you'll note it in verse number 14, I've given all this, I've supplied all this, here it is all for the temple, but look at the right last phrase. He basically told Solomon, here it all is. He said, but if you want to, if you may, you can add to them. Some of the versions of the Bible don't have it as thou mayest add to. Some are quite emphatic and say thou must add to. The ESV says to these you must add. The CSB says you will need to add more to them. The Net Bible says feel free to add more. Another one says, David said I have prepared but you will need more. Another version says, you may easily add to these materials as you need. Now, wait a minute. I got this massive stuff over here for the temple. And you're telling me, as one from the generation before me, that here it all is. Get busy. But you're going to have to add something along the way. Somebody hear this pastor tonight. And I know this is just like, I know this has been me, I guess, in 2000. Amen. In 22. Amen. Preaching on both sides of the generation here. But I'm here to tell this generation that's sitting over here on these front two pews that no generation could ever prepare enough or contribute enough for God's work, God's house, God's purpose, God's plan, God's design. Yes, David served his generation well. But my question is this. Who's going to help in Solomon's era? And who's going to serve in your generation? I'm telling you, the generation before you is looking at you and telling you, look at all the material that we have amassed for the kingdom and the power and the glory of God. That's good to get you started. But somewhere in your generation... Somewhere in your time frame, you're going to need to add something. Gone are the days, Trevor. You're not going to be able to ride on my coattail. What that means is you're not going to be able to live off my sacrifice in my generation. Somewhere along the way, you'll have to get Holy Ghost filled. Somewhere along the way, you're going to have to have that same spirit rise up in you and you're going to have to add something in your generation. I can't depend upon Bishop. He's amounted a lot of stuff and amassed a lot of stuff. But of our generation, it's a good start. But somewhere along the way, we must add to it. Someone say amen. No matter how one generation may view the contribution of the preceding generations, I'm telling you tonight, they can always add something to it they have let me state it like this upcoming generation you have something to add to it my wars have not been your wars my battles have not been your battles but that doesn't change the dynamic as David got something from his warfare the next generation needs to come out with spoils of their warfare and make them contributions and donations for the purpose of the propagating of the gospel message in the house of God someone say amen am I doing alright that was the only place to sway. That was the only place of leniency that David had to his son Solomon. And with that being the case, Bishop, I say this. Next generation, you're not having to decide where the site location is. I'm telling the next generation, it's not up to you to, desi to design. 
Solomon, you, you think that this is kind of old school pattern? He didn't ask you to make the pattern. The design is already firm. The furnishing's already firm. We need an outer court with a laver. We need a holy place with light and bread and incense. And we need a holy of holies where the spirit is. Don't do anything about the design. We need the slain of an animal in the outer court for repentance. We need the labor for baptism. We need the holy place where the word of bread is and where the light still shines and where incense of prayer rises. And we need the spirit in the holy place. Don't tamper with the floor plan. That's not where that's not where we need. That's not where the leniency is. Don't skimp. Listen, 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 Solomon. Don't skimp on the quality of the materials. Hear me. The Bible says the temple of Solomon, this was the prescription. It was to be exceeding magnifical. It's a good Bible word, magnifical. It's to be exceeding magnifical. Spare no cost. This wasn't made out of tumbleweed from the desert. Mud and thatch. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, cedars from Lebanon, some of the best of wood, fir, algum, precious stones, purple, scarlet. Don't skimp on the quality. Someone say amen. You got something to add to this. Someone say I got something to add to it. We got something to add to it. Hallelujah. Yes, we do. But we don't need to skimp on the quality of the material. We don't want this thing to have been started in gold and end in fool's gold. No, 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 no. Our prayer still needs to be on point. Our worship still needs to be on point. Our involvement still needs to be on point. We need not come in half flagged. We We don't need to come in half flagged and oh glory Jesus. No, no. We We need to bring some material that's of the same quality that started this thing to begin with. We need to bring in the same quality, the same intrinsic worth and value. Since these materials were primarily products of victories, we can't even imagine that David wanted Solomon to know. Solomon, you can add to this. I say like this: We need not allow the stories of the previous generations' battles and warfares just to be that stories for telling. And tokens for relishing. We don't need just to have something we can talk about from their generation. You hear me? Don't need just have things to talk about from the first church or the second church. We need something to talk about in our generation. We need a material that we forge, if you will, a piece of an ear or a piece of a leg out of the mouth of the lion in our generation that says, yeah, David had some victories, but this is our victory right here. This is our contribution from where we have done warfare, from where we have fought, from where we have been victorious in a battle. They don't need to be just things of yesteryear that we relish in, and we should in those things, but they do not need to stand alone. Hallelujah. We need a victory in our generation. We need a battle well fought and a war well warged. Amen. Ward in our generation. Hear me. Because if we don't watch ourselves, many times we'll become like Noah. You know, Noah had a lot of years that he lived after the ark was built and the flood came and went. But you don't see much materialize in those years. He spent at his best, you have to run the numbers through scripture, but he spent maybe at most around 75 or so years actually building the ark. 
actually building it. And the floods came, went above the mountains. They were in the drift. I think it was for like 150 days, just drifting around. Came to an end. Noah comes off the ark. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with battles won and victories won. If you don't watch it, it'll just be a monument you visit. And you'll never add anything to it. So he spends about 75 years or so of his lifetime gathering materials. He went for gopher wood. <laughs> gopher wood. <laughs> he went for materials. He built the ark. He steps on dry ground when it's all said and done. He plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. Because once you've had some monumental win like that, what else can you add to it? I mean, what happened to the ark? We don't read in scripture like it was disassembled. What happened to the ark? Some people claim they found it. What happened to it? Something that large on what is mountainous and predominantly maybe even wilderness type area. If you've ever been by over there in Kentucky, it kind of stands out a little bit. That massive structure. No, what are you doing today? Ah, see that over there? 75 years of my life been over there. Living in the past. And planting vineyards and getting drunk in his future. Not adding anything to anything, but just reliving what was. Someone hear me right now? Then add something to it. When all the when all of the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Bible says they had spoiled the Egyptians. They had plundered to a certain degree their houses. They had spoiled them. They left Egypt with their sons and they left Egypt with their own daughters. The Israelites did. But as they were leaving with a high hand, the Bible says, the Egyptians were out there and they were digging graves for their firstborn sons and daughters. They were digging graves for their firstborn animals even. And they were burying them in the ground as the Israelites were going out with victory, with the spoils of gold and silver from the Egyptians upon their children and upon their hands. And the Bible says then later, whenever Moses delayed from coming down the mount, amen, that the Israelites got in their mind, maybe we need to find our way back to Egypt. Maybe we need to go back there. Don't you remember the food we had there? Don't you remember the homes we had there? And here we are in the wilderness. And the Bible says they built a calf. They built a calf with their spoils that they had brought out of Egypt. They had built an idol with their spoils that they brought out of Egypt and they worshiped that. And that was nothing but a token, if you will, of their victory. But the sad dialogue of all this is this, is that later when Moses would come to those same people that gave up material for building the calf, when he came to the same people saying, we need some gold and silver for the tabernacle. And the people were to willingly give. Someone say amen. There were some among them that would not have any inventory left to give because they squandered it on a meaningless celebration of an idle calf. Someone say amen. We need to add to that which is profitable, that which is noteworthy, that which is going to outlive us after the victory over the Midianites. You've heard me all preach this here before, but after the victory over the Midianites, the Midianites have been oppressing Israel for some time. Their deliverer comes up in the book of Judges to be a deliverer. He's that mighty man of valor that the angel said he was as he found him, threshing wheat in the wine press. Gideon, amen, and his men went forth valiantly, and they came back with the victory. 
just with a small group of people. And when the battles were all said and done against the Midianites, the Bible says that Gideon requested of them. He said, bring to me your earrings of the prey. Amen. They stole, they plundered, they took spoil of their adversary. Earrings of the prey that he wanted. And they brought those to him. They brought to him their other ornaments, the Bible says, and their collars and their purple raiment and their chains that was about the camel's necks of the enemy. They brought all of that to Gideon. And the Bible says that Gideon made an ephod of all that material and that thing that he made and what he set up as a token of their victories. The Bible says the people began to go a-whoring after it or they began to worship it. They worshiped a symbol of their past victories. And the Bible says it became a snare to Gideon and his house. I ask you this, what would have happened if they took the same material and did something to glorify God with it? Someone say amen. Add to the material generations to come add to the material by winning some battles during your age during your era during your lifetime hallelujah because I guarantee you this at least is what I can see in scripture conflicts are not typically a one and done type thing not normally a one and done type thing amen but it's something that we endeavor to do repeatedly we win one and we'll win again we won before we'll win again the Bible says that the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, he says, I'm going to have war with Amalek from what? From generation to generation. It wasn't a one and done, but it was going to fight him. I'm going to fight him today and I'm going to fight him tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to endeavor to be victorious today in this battle and I'm going to be victorious if I can tomorrow. How many times in scripture answer me this? How many times in scripture did Israel fight the Moabites? How many times did they fight the Edomites? How many times? Do you see them fighting the Philistines several times over and over and over again? Every time you go to war with them, you need to come back with something in your hand for adding to the kingdom, for adding, if you will, to the propagation of the house of God. Even the Lord said when he was tempted in the wilderness and the devil left him and the angels strengthened him, the Bible says the devil left him for a season the one and done there's going to be a battle tomorrow and the next day but what are you doing with the spoils that you get from your battles and here it is David's telling Solomon one generation speaking to the next generation Solomon is going to start according to God's word Solomon oh man I need to get to preaching Solomon is going to amen start the construction of the work for the temple as early as his fourth year in reigning as the king and that's quite a, a undertaking Amen. To start this grand construction, the fourth year of your reign. Who else could start in their fourth year as a king to begin to build a temple? I tell you who, Solomon. And that's only possible because his dad's generation. That's only possible because David's generation made preparations. Now here is an awesome, an awesome tension in the relationship, and what I mean, it's not something negative, but here's the awesome tension in the relationship. David could not build a house for the name of the Lord because of the wars. But Solomon could not build it without his father's victories. David couldn't do it because of the wars, and Solomon could only do it because of the wars. What I'm saying tonight, this, listen, young folks, you're going to get a little older. These older generations are going to get older, and I'm going to be among them one of these days. And you're not going to like the songs I sing. And the songs you sing, I'm going to have trouble understanding the lyrics. And we're still going to have a nice old simple 4-4 beat over here. And over here it's going to sound like Disco Duck or something going on. You hear me? Happens in every generation. The things that you love right now, the next generation is going to hate and you're going to keep loving them. But we are not in the position as Solomon and David. We are not in this position to stand as one generation pitted against another generation. 
We're not one generation in competition against another generation. We're not in one generation trying to show up or show out another generation. This is not a young generation over here against an older generation back there. Because here is the fact of the matter. If David does not war, Solomon cannot build. If David does not amass materials, Solomon doesn't have anything to start with. We must not, listen to me, we can't elevate the building above the warring they got to work in tandem they got to work together Solomon will lack workers he'll lack materials he'll lack location he'll lack a design and a plan amen without the fighting generation someone say amen you hear me we didn't get here by ourselves, and the next generation won't make it unless we add something to it Everybody doing all right? Lord, I got to hurry. I got a flight tomorrow, so I got to hurry. I got a flight to catch. At the death of Moses, preparations had already been made for the transfer of leadership from him to Joshua. However, we see later at the death of Joshua, no plan had been devised for a successor from the next generation. That's why there arose a generation eventually that knew not the Lord, neither the works of the Lord. The children of Israel entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, but were left later without a leader to challenge their Service and their dedication to the Lord. And since that was the case, the results of all of that is this. Our book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And the cycle began. Rebellion, oppression, a cry for help, deliverance, and then a little space a peace. Why? A generation for God to add to what they had been given. And so in the Bible you have Joshua and you have Judges which are really two contrasting pictures. In Joshua they are conquering. In Judges they're being conquered. And with that as a biblical background, it tells me that it is, a, it is necessary to have not only a successor, but a succeeding generation that adds something in their time frame. Joshua, he implements all the desires of God. The desires that God made known to Moses. Moses will not cross over the Jordan. Moses will not bring them into the promised land. But Moses was responsible for getting them to the edge of the promise. And Joshua would take them in. If we didn't have a Moses, there would be no people to take over the Jordan into the promised land. But if there was no Joshua, they'd always be stuck on the opposite side of where they needed to be. Somebody had to add two in their generation. Someone say amen. So Joshua basically finishes up Moses just as Solomon completes David. Joshua did not subtract from the work of Moses. He complimented it. And Solomon coming as the next generation after David, he furthered the career of David. He added to it. And so before all this came to Moses knew what his responsibility was. God already told him, you're not, gonna, you're not going over this, Jordan. Took him up a mountain, let him see everything that was coming. But he wasn't going over. And so the Bible says that Moses set Joshua in the middle of the congregation. He gave him a charge. He laid his hands upon him and publicly put some of his honor upon him. Whew. I'm trying to work both sides here tonight. But Bishop, there's nothing wrong with publicly putting some of our honor. Upon the generation that is to follow. There's nothing wrong with speaking promise and purpose. 
We don't need to leave the next generation wondering what the purpose is. Wondering what the program is. No, no, no. Publicly, I want them to know what the design is. Publicly, I want them to know what the purpose is. Publicly, I want them to know in my spirit what I feel the guidance of the Lord is for their generation. Because I don't want to be put in the ground and for them to be flandering around about what am I supposed to do? I add to it? What do I? No, no, no. I want them to know without a shadow of a doubt this is as far as I can go, Joshua, to the Jordan. You'll have to take them over. You'll have to add to. You'll have to go a little. Over, I'm about ready to get in a wrestling match and a battle come forth with spoils. My generation will not lose anything by placing some of my honor on the next generation. We get the mentality, man, if I do anything like, man, that kind of subtracts from me, you know. No, you just multiply it. In scripture, you see where the Bible says that they took of the spirit of Moses and they put it on some of the other judges and prophets. Moses didn't lose anything. He gained his spirit multiplied by 70. Listen, I'm not intimidated someone coming. Listen, like, you know, this old drum age. I was, you know, when are we first, some of you know. We first, Kingsbury, I started learning how to play drums, play drums there, play drums in middle church, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't break my heart one bit not to be on these things. It doesn't break my heart that there's people that's come up generations behind me that is ten times, thousand times better than I am playing. I hope to God someday someone fills this pulpit that can just preach the varnish off the, off the pillars. That exceeds anywhere that I've been or done. And I'm not afraid to put some of my honor on them. Because I'd rather than it die with me that it be multiplied with the next generation and somebody add to it. Someone say amen. Doing that's not, if I do that, I'm not, I'm not sacrificing all the years of a lifetime of hard work and diligence, bless God. No, I'm not sacrificing anything. I'm investing something. Doing that, doing that might be allowing me to draw a circle of victory around the next generation that will fulfill the will of God. Everybody doing okay? Well, you asked for it. There's a hanky around here somewhere, bless God. It's not for illustration either. It's functional. That's comforting. David, all the materials of your victories, you're just handing over. You probably got scars you can show from certain battles that's connected to certain material. But you're just handing it over. David, all of the materials from your victories... Take comfort. They're not going to be lost on your son. And David even commends, and I, I really do need to hurry. David commends Solomon. You look at it in verse 17. He commends Solomon to all the princes of Israel, and he even tells him, he said, here's my son. I, I request that you help him out. Solomon, I want you to be courageous and I want you to obey God and I want you to add to it. But all these other people, that all they've known is me, I want them to help you out. Because we get, we get all these multiple generations. See, somewhere along the way, I'm going to be the old man that's going to die. And James, you're going to be that next older generation. And then we're going to have these young ones. And whenever I'm dead, I still want you to help them. Solomon, I go, man, we just need to preach. What's going on? 
Felt like I have been, honestly. But Solomon, in verse number five, look at it. He's described as young and tender. The word tender there, you can look at it in other versions. You can look at it in the original language. Solomon is described as young and tender, inexperienced. Inexperienced. So think with me here for a moment. Here's the prescription. The temple's to be exceeding magnifical. Great magnificence, great grandeur, just great, great, great. All right, Solomon, that's what it's to be. And I'm going to give all this over to you, an inexperienced young man, to build something that's a great grandeur. It's like, Fred, the person coming in with that, you know, best card. It's like an old one, you know. Not in the best condition, but you got all the materials for it. And having the guy that's never painted a day in his life or done body work come in and saying, now this is quite, this is quite the vehicle. I got all the materials for it. There, old greenie. And I want you to take care of it. Think about that. You paid for the materials. Your name's on the line because it's your. But you just give it all to this wet behind the ear boy, inexperienced body man. Never, he not he not even painted a, a rainbow in kindergarten. You know what I'm saying? He just never done anything. And you give it to that experience about this has got to be the best. I mean, it's got to be the atypical. It's going to be the face of the company. That's basically what David did. He's prepared extensively before his death. He's taken great pains, the Bible says, in much trouble. He's prepared all this. No better materials could have he brought than what he brought. They're splendid for the splendor that was needed for this temple. And he looks at Solomon, you know, cross-eyed. I don't know. I don't, that's, I'm doing maybe injury to scripture there, but, you know, his mouth gaping open. Hey, Dad. Well, son, here it is. Giving it to his inexperienced son of the next generation. He hands over everything he's collected of this massive project, and he tells him, buddy, you got to add something to this. I'm inexperienced. I've never done this before. I want to say to the next generation, you can look over your shoulders at the previous generation and think sometimes it's all already been done. It's all already been gathered. But again, I tell you that there's something that you may add, you must add in your generation. For one, it's not all been done. It's not reached the far reaches of our world as of yet. God chose David's generation. Man, I got to hurry. Is everybody doing okay? I don't know if I'm trying to make up for the Wednesday. I'm not going to be here or what. God chose David's generation to prepare again because he wanted Solomon's generation to build. He had David fight so Solomon could have rest all around and build. Young people, don't be intimidated by what the generation before you have done. And don't think what is done is done. And there's nothing else that you can do. No, be inspired by what has happened. And ask yourself this question, what can I add to this? Huh? A little church, Jackson Street, a little church, Railroad Street, here we are in Cedar. Oh, this this is pretty well it. No, no, no. You need to look at this and say, what can I add to this? How can I further this forward just a little? The Bible says, and you can stand with me. I'll try. I'll really try. Help me, Jesus. If you read in 2 Chronicles, chapter number 2, Scripture records that Solomon added to this massive materialist that he got from his father. It tells us that he 
negotiated with Hiram, the king of Tyre, which is somebody that David had consulted with. His dad had done business with the same guy. Solomon goes to him and he negotiates with him. And guess what? He's adding more cedar timber. He's adding more fir timber. He's adding more laborers for all of this. And the Bible says it cost Solomon X number of wheat, X number of barley, X number of wine, X number of olive oil. It cost him that to add. Listen to me. It cost David in his generation. It cost Solomon in his generation. And in every generation that desires to add to it, it's going to cost you something. And when you believe it is enough, you'll hear the voice of the previous generation urging you, saying you must add to this. Where the temple was built, where David had his altar, where the threshing floor was, for that matter, where Isaac, where Abraham had Isaac, all of that was Mount Moriah. This, the very same place that the Jews believe that Jacob laid down his head and seen the ladder that was stretched from the ground to heaven and angels ascending and descending upon the ladder, Moriah. Meaning that whenever they called it Bethel, the house of God, it was almost prophetic because that's where the house of God would be. Even the Jews, you can look at Jewish writings, they even believe that this place is the very place where Adam was created from the dust of the ground. There's a, there's a stone still yet in the old mosque over in Jerusalem called the foundational stone. It's known as the cradle. It's the cradle of humanity, the cradle of creation. They believe all these places are one and the same. Same place. Abraham and Isaac. Temple. Altar. All these things. That place where Abraham told Isaac God will provide himself a lamb. Temple that David built or rather David prepared, that Solomon would add to and build. According to many scholars, you can read both sides of this, but I believe the, the answer to the puzzle is this. According to many scholars, they say that Golgotha and the temple may be in the same area. Mount Moriah wasn't just like a solitary mountain. Mount Moriah was a range of mountains. Range of mountains. And though Jesus probably didn't suffer at the exact spot where the temple was because the Bible says he suffered outside the gate of the city. It's possible that Golgotha was in the same range, the Moriah range of mountains. Even for different locations, Golgotha could have been at a higher location in so much that a person could see the temple from Calvary. If so, David's son, Christ Jesus, generations down the family tree line from 1 Chronicles 22, could be at Golgotha in that range of Moriah the day he died and looks back upon the legacies of previous generations before him and could have said to himself, Sister Sheila, I believe I can add to that. I believe I must add to that. And as Solomon contracted with Hiram for a few more pieces of timber, Jesus says, I think I can add an old rugged cross, some old rugged wood from a victory. One. It cost him. It cost David. It cost Solomon. But it was the calling and the purpose of Christ serving his generation. Even generations to come. And I can hear him as he ascends from this world to his disciples and those that would follow. Guys, 
you got to add something to this. Greater things than this shall you see, and greater things than this shall you do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptize them in my name, beginning at Jerusalem. Add to it. Don't change the materials. Don't change the plan. Add to it. And every account in the book of Acts until now is the accumulation of every generation making their impact. Them adding to it. The message hasn't changed. We've contracted more laborers, hopefully, in the vineyard. We've won more battles. We've gained more spoils. But after everything's been said and done, every generation must add to it. We're not adding something different, but we're basically just adding more of the same. Can we raise our hands all across this? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.